Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear dance educator Mary Wood in conversation with principal dancers Sasha DeSola and Wei Wong. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, April 24th, 2019, before a performance of John Newmeyer's The Little Mermaid. Hope you enjoy. Thank you, Jenny. And I want to add my welcome. Welcome to this evening's Points of View program, and I hope that many of you will be staying for a performance of The Little Mermaid, and that perhaps by listening to our conversation, if you aren't coming tonight, you might be inspired to come again later in the week. I'm just delighted today to be in conversation with principal dancers Sasha DeSola. Hi. Sasha has um, been with the company since, uh, gosh... 2006, and was promoted to soloist in um, 2012 and to principal dancer two seasons ago, I think. Yeah, this is my third season. As well. Okay. Oh, yeah. Third season. So 2017 it was, right. And principal artist Wei Wang was um, a student in our school, was a trainee, and then I believe, did you go through the apprentice year? Yes. And yes, and then in the core, starting in um, 2013, was promoted to soloist in 2016, and then I think it was mid-season last year you were promoted to principal artist yep. in 2018, and um, we were actually dancing together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! When you got yeah. <laughs> and if I'm recalling, it was Frankenstein. Was it? No. Oh, it was um, uh, John Robbins' Other Dances. It was a, just a part of the, and the piano, so it was just us and then the piano. And after the show, I, I was very fortunate to get promoted, especially dancing with Sasha. It was so much fun. That's right. Yeah. Okay, but you had danced Frankenstein that season. Yes. 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 Okay. All right. It's very important to get these details. Um, they are both um, in the cast of The Little Mermaid. And so that, of course, is what we want to talk about tonight because it is, it's such a, a fascinating and spectacular spectacle work. Uh, I just want to actually get a show of hands. How many of you here tonight have not seen it? Look at that. So we get to tell them about it and... It's a many-layered experience. It's as much... Make sure this is... Can you hear me well? Um, it's as much theater as it is dance. On the surface layer, it's a traditional story ballet, uh, full-length, like the classics. Uh, the story is a fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, pretty familiar to most people, we have the main characters. We have the Little Mermaid. We have the prince. We have the princess, his bride. And we have the, the villain, the sea witch. Um, we have a stunningly fantastic and elaborate production. Incredible sets, incredible costumes. We have an epic musical score, which was commissioned for this work. And there the surface layer stops. Under that layer, choreographer John Neumeyer has introduced another storyline and the character of the poet 
which he suggests might be Hans Christian Andersen himself, and that the prince and the princess might be characters from his own, that is, Andersen's life, and that this fable may perhaps be autobiographical. Undergirding all of that, down another layer, is a very dramatically depicted morality tale, one that's very familiar to ballet goers and theater goers through the ages, uh, the universally familiar love, unrequited love, loss, and then ultimately transformation. I want to ask each of you, um, I was kind of teasing you just before we came out, you are caught on the street by a friend who says, I've heard there's this ballet about the Little Mermaid. Uh, should I go see it, and what's it about? Uh, Sasha, <laughs> what would you tell this, this person? Um, <laughs> I, I would say it's not a traditional ballet in the way that a lot of people would expect, such as with Sleeping Beauty or the Nutcracker, things that are um, more traditional and often more commonly seen. Um, but for me, it's a piece almost of dance theater rather than a ballet. It, it really is so much about the storyline. And of course, the choreography is very important. That's actually how we tell the story. But the most important thing, I think, to John Neumeyer, the choreographer, is that we really capture the characters and the story properly. So I would say it's more a work of dance theater mm-hmm. with a lot of drama, of course. <laughs> Wait, what's your idea? Uh, that was pretty much all I wanted to say, but um, if any one of you have read the original tale from Christian Anderson, it's nothing like you have seen the Disney version of The Little <laughs> Mermaid. This is actually, he, when he wrote the story, it was for, for everyone, mostly mm-hmm. adults. It's, it, it's telling about this love story and then, elevation of a spirit thing. So um, there's a very deep, deep layer of darkness and then emotions that Johnny Meyer actually brought it out from the original tale uh, rather than what you saw in the theater rated PG-13. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know there's a lot of joking that goes on backstage with... Um, people humming and singing the tunes from the Disney version, but it's, it's, it, that's its own dark humor <laughs> because it's yeah. nothing to do. Um, before I ask you to actually describe your characters in the piece, um, let's look at just, I'm going to go through the images, and then we can go back to the ones that might help as you talk about your characters. Um, this is the most familiar one. This is Yuan Yuan Tan portraying the Little Mermaid, and the conch shell is a theme that goes through the piece. Um, This is one of the first scenes. There's a wedding. This is actually a foreshadowing um, fantasy, Um, but the wedding is the prince and the princess, of course, and the character in the dark stovepipe hat is this character that Neumeyer has introduced, the poet. Um, interesting that Neumeyer chose to, he did the decor himself, the costumes and the sets, 
and the special effects, and <laughs> he didn't write the music, but <laughs> about everything else. Um, it's set kind of vaguely in the 50s, would you say, the costuming, sort of? It's reminiscent of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the, the villain of the piece, the sea witch, with the poet in the background. Um, this is Wei, made up as the sea witch with the mermaid. Um, very poignant scene early in the piece. Um, here we have the mermaid after she's arrived on land and with the prince. And again, the poet is always hovering. Um, the prince and the princess first meet. It's very romantic. Um, this is an extraordinary ensemble dance for the prince, the princess, the, the uh, mermaid, and the poet. Um, this is just the album shot of the wedding. Um, a moment late in the piece that's very dramatic. <clears throat> it's important to understand that a good portion of this is a nightmare and that this is sort of the look that the nightmare might take with some of the characters who've been going through. And once again, there's the sea witch. And so we're going to back up a little bit. Um, Sasha, I'd like to start with you and tell us who is, who do you understand your character to be? Sure. So Princess Henriette, um, so if you remember the first, one of the first photos of the bride and the groom kissing on the boat, um, I believe John Neumeyer meant that scene to be, um, the, the poet is Hans Christian Andersen, and he is actually at his, at the wedding of his good friend Edward and his bride Henriette, which then inspires him to write the story of the Little Mermaid. This, um, I think his experience at this wedding made him realize he's not able to express his love fully for somebody that he cares about so deeply. And he becomes heartbroken during that wedding and that inspires the rest of the ballet and the rest of the story. Um, so the princess um, first meets the prince once he's washed ashore after a big storm and the mermaid kind of saves him and she meets him on the beach and they fall in love there. And for me, that scene is actually the most important one because it is the moment where the mermaid realizes that she needs to, or she wants to give up her life underwater, give up her beauty as a mermaid to have legs and to be with the prince, to do whatever it takes to be with him. And that basically the princess is just a catalyst for the mermaid to decide to make this heart-wrenching decision to give up her, what she knows. So the princess, well, sorry to keep going with the princess, but um, she is a kind soul. She's a bit, um, a bit of a bubbly airhead type. And as the <laughs> ballet goes on, you realize she's not, quite as sweet. She becomes annoyed with the mermaid and um, <clears throat> while she's not fully aware of the extent of the mermaid's suffering, 
she's really in her own bliss with her prince, and she absolutely cannot see beyond her little bubble. We've seen you portray other princesses, <laughs> and um, it just it strikes me that, um, oh, let's say, Princess Aurora in The Sleeping Beauty is always um, very dignified and very elegant and very gracious and very royal. And this princess um, strikes me as, certainly in this interpretation, as a much more modern and as you said, maybe a little bubbly, maybe a little bit of an airhead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit bratty, too. There are elements to her, and she's not um, ill-intended, but she's just um, maybe a little bit self-centered. She just can't quite see beyond herself, and that's where some of these elements of brattiness come out mm -hmm. with her. Um, so you've actually laid the scene really very well for how Edward meets, or the prince meets her and so on. Um, but we did skip over a little, a fairly large part of what happens first, which is going to involve the character that you portray, which is the sea witch. So um, who's the, who, who is that sea witch? There are villains in many of the fairy tales. So... Yes. What kind of a villain is this? Uh, I had my understanding when I read the original tale because um, he's definitely an evil character. And then John, when John told me that he is the devil of um, the whole story of Under Anderson's writing, he is a form of the devil. So that uh, in this story, he controls the seafloor. Every single creature, every single living in the undersea, that he is the boss. And then he doesn't let anyone else who come into his territory and brings out or bring in anything. So when, um, when the, uh, the prince drowned in the water and then when they had a first interaction in the sea, I was fully pissed off, which how I... <laughs> portrayed when I, myself, in that moment, when I saw them together, dancing together, I was just totally angry about it. And then when the mermaid came to me, asked to, um, wanted to be, uh, becoming a human, and then I made a deal with her, and then I just turned on the evil side that I say, everything comes a price. Uh, I can turn you a human, and then you can uh, you give me your tail, you give me your beautiful skin, and that's how I realize how uh, evil this character is, how much power that he actually has. Which is, it sounds horrible, but well, it is. Yeah, really. it's very, <laughs> yeah, it's a very thrilling character, but it's quite satisfying to do it. <laughs> Do you feel as though you get to, um, let's say, pour out all sorts of hostilities that you can't show off in real life by being this evil creature? I mean, I don't know. I, I thought I was always a very sweet person. But, <laughs> what but, is very sweet, but just John, for the record? <laughs> John does, uh, uh, 
reminds us that uh, every every in every being, every creature, that there's a balance. There's a good side, and also there's a bad side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, the other side takes over. You have no idea, and you you sometimes you lose control. You might not do a bad thing, but the rush decision that maybe leads you to do a wrong decision, then that's where we learn how to control. But in this case, I just need to let go. Whatever the most nastiness and then everything that comes out bad, I just need to enlarge that and then make it more on the stage so that every creature got, you know, gets frightened by me and then when the mermaid feels I'm taking the control of her life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an image toward the end of that very powerful scene in which the mermaid is changed into, a, in, into human form. And um, this, it's important for you to know the whole story and know what's going on. So there aren't any real spoilers, I don't think, that we can spoil for you. But, um, but I will not describe that scene because that scene is incredibly powerfully and dramatically just brilliantly enacted and uh, it's pretty amazing um, it's worth saying that in those uh, the two characters that we can see um, on either side shadows um, I, is that what they're called in the program the magic shadows or the something I believe so. um, it's um, perhaps one of you could explain this um, John was inspired by Japanese no theater because he was trying to come up with the inspiration for how to portray the mermaid before she had legs, when she was just her tail. And it's pretty amazing mm-hmm. stuff. And so they use these other characters to help. Yes, because uh, uh, what I know about that play is that uh, the Japanese mm-hmm. traditional opera, that they wear very, very long pants. Mm-hmm. So they completely cover their uh, both legs and feet when they walk they look like they have no legs and that's where i think that's where he draw the inspiration and then he used that to put it on mermaid and then it looks exactly like she has no legs it's a tail and beyond that also the costuming for the shadows and actually all of the sea characters they're all inspired by this japanese traditional opera so mm-hmm those loose pants with the slits on the side, those are all inspired by that as well. Um, There's a question that I've had about the um, sea witch. And it's interesting you talk about how your impression is that he rules the undersea world, and yet he's going to appear above ground later in the piece. Um, How do you explain that? I think it's a very abstract thing that John did. It might be confusing on stage, but it definitely, for me, it made totally sense when mm-hmm. he comes back and tell the mer- mermaid, you know, if you want to, if you didn't get what you get. And then uh, hopefully I'm not spoiling anything. But, it's, I think it's very helpful to know. Yeah, so if, what's going you know, on. she didn't get what she wants to get, which the love from the prince, and then. She's about to turn into sea foam to die. And then here I appears and I brought her a knife 
the only way you can turn back to, I'll give you the tail back, is to kill him and to uh, trade your tails back, which she's too kind to do that. But the reason for me to be there is to, um, again, to be that evil person, (laughs) evil creature that uh, telling her what to do or what not to do. So this is, after all, magic. It's a fairy tale. So the sea creature is able, or the sea witch, to um, get out of the water, basically, and appear. A lot of the um, onboard activity takes place on a ship, which is sort of interesting, and the prince is cast as a sea captain. Yeah. Also, to just elaborate on kind of the magic of the story, um, my impression is that as the ballet go, goes on, it gets less and less realistic, and it becomes more and more um, from the impression of the mermaid. So while she is at the wedding of the prince and the princess, it's it, you'll see that it all becomes more and more odd and a bit um, uncomfortable And so when the sea witch enters, and as well as these sea creatures that no longer really look like sea creatures, they're more of a nightmarish state, and they're just perhaps visions, or it's it's not necessarily a realistic wedding. It's really, you start noticing the kind of the demise of the mermaid and how she becomes more and more um, obsessed with the fact that she can't have the prince's love. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you. Um, this might be a good segue to talking about the actual choreography, the dance. We've really emphasized the theatrical aspect and the telling of this very emotional tale. Um, is it difficult technically? Is it strenuous for your characters? I think both the poet and the mermaid are in virtually every scene, minutes off stage. Um, but for the two of you, um, compared to some of the other works you've had to conquer this season, um, I'll start. I think comparatively, it's not the most technical ballet that I've done in my life, but it is, I find that the physicality of the movement is maybe even more important because that's how we're telling the story. John, before he left, he was saying how we should not only uh, tell the story through our faces, but that's not what he wants. He doesn't want to see faces on the stage. He wants your physical movement to portray the character. So in the case of the princess, when she's on the ship, she's a bit bouncy and a little bit um, all over the place, maybe slightly awkward, and all of that is intentional. She's very flirtatious. She loves the attention. Um, and I think that while it's not a an extremely technical piece, at least I don't know if it is for anyone actually, but um, it is just as important the physicality of the movement as it is for something like Sleeping Beauty or Etudes or Don Quixote. It's, it's a very different experience as a dancer, but I find that it still holds so much weight mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Wei, how would you... I mean, we've seen you do some pretty amazing stuff technically this year. 
um, and we're talking the leaps and the tours and the pirouettes and etc. But this part asks you to do what? I, I totally agree uh, what Sasha said about portray a character with the full body. Mm-hmm. That's what John mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. Uh, tell us to do, and then he always, always tell me that I need to do this character um, with my chest, with my shoulders, everything. Uh-huh. Uh, the physicality should be a thousand times enlarged on stage than the studio, how we rehearse it. And then uh, I sort of, I, I took it down his choreography and then I kind of got in every single one of the section of his choreography and then I, I'm thinking, how do I, those steps are very, um, first of all, physically challenged, but not yet, not the most technical things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ever to do, but how to use that to do the character. It's, I think it's very, very important for this ballet and it's very important for John himself, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And that's the challenge of doing the steps, but Yet beyond that, you need to do the steps to do the character. Mm-hmm. You've both referenced John and quoted him many, many times now. Um, so just focusing on John Neumeyer, the character, the character, the um, <laughs> the choreographer. Um, I have said, many of you have probably heard me say countless times, <clears throat> ours is an art of heritage, and all of the dancers learn from teachers and ballet masters and choreographers who learned from teachers and ballet masters and choreographers back to, over the generations, to our beginnings 500 years ago. Um, I think it's probably fair to say John Neumeyer is one of the greats of this generation. And so you have worked with him. You've listened to him. You've been, you've embodied his instructions. Um, what, let's say, time has passed and you get to rehearse somebody in these roles. What sorts of things do you think you'll pass on that will be the essence of John Neumeier so his heritage is carried on? One of the things that I love about working with John is that he's so fully emotionally invested in his work. And he requires that of his dancers as well. You have to come from an honest place no matter what character you're portraying. Um, And I think that's something that I really love about him, his sensitivity, and he'll capture these moments that might seem insignificant at first or less significant than you could imagine him to think they are. Like, for example, there's a photo there um, where the prince and the princess reach for the umbrella at the same time. And in the studio, we spent quite a long time, yeah, that moment, exactly, quite a long time with the way that we reached, the way that we took our hands away and the prince basically tries to convince the princess to dance with him and to um, spend time with him. And it, it, those tiny details are the, the details that really make his work 
so I, I find so captivating and so honest. So I think that's something that I would love to be able to pass along is the the importance of those types of details, how they can really portray something so powerful in the tiniest gesture, even in a giant opera house. I think um, I had a, I had a conversation with him after the first premiere, and then because I was ha- I had to get off my costume and makeup, that takes forever. But he told me that. Um, it doesn't matter what you do in the future or right now. You have to fully commit it. You have to be. You you have to open up to yourself. You have to be absolutely honest to yourself. Because once this door open, he as he, he described, it's a light from your chest that brings out your energy and then bring out to the audience. Once that door opens, you cannot let it close. That light is actually what leads you um, further down the way of being a professional artist. And then once 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 the day is closed, that's the day you should consider yourself great dancer. <laughs> it's quite strong words, but I believe I believed him, and then I believe it's true because. Uh, it doesn't matter how um, how you want to dance, how how you want to dance, how you want to be as an artist. You definitely have to fully commit it and be honest with yourself. I think that's what I want to pass it on mm-hmm. to other uh, younger generations. <laughs> Everything I hear about him is that um, the actual steps. Um, well, you talk about being very detailed, and you talk about the emotional commitment. Um, he really does sound like a very, um, very passionate individual, very detail-oriented. Um, I've heard that um, that can be challenging. Sure, but I think it's really great to have that. He so clearly has a vision for every single character in this ballet, which is incredible. Even the wedding guests in the second act they each have backstories the passengers on the boat they each have backstories and I find that incredible and fascinating and really inspiring and I think while of course there are challenges it also is such a motivating force as well does the princess have a backstory I know she's at this little convent school yeah I mean she's she's a privileged girl of course and um I think while he actually never personally told me her backstory, I have my own understanding of it. And I think that that's important. Each princess you'll see will be slightly different because we're different humans. And I think that that's something also really great about his work is that if you're being honest in the role, the role will be slightly different even if you're portraying the same character. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Uh, that's what makes different artists unique and di- di- different roles memorable. And then um, I really, I really, really do. Maybe I'm being finger about it, but your princess, it does, it's very, very memorable to me. It's one of the memorable princes on stage, actually, because she has her own personality. Thanks, Wei.
<laughs> Likewise. <laughs> um, there are just a zillion questions, but I do want to make sure that we at least talk a little bit about the music. The music was commissioned a commissioned score by Lara Auerbach, who's a Russian-American composer. Uh, she has composed operas. She's composed film scores, I believe. Um, there was the, the first version of this was created in 2005 for the Royal Danish Ballet. And then apparently she and John reworked it very extensively before it was then set on his company, the Hamburg company, uh, in 2007. Um, describe the music. It's a bit difficult to describe. I think one of the, um, the things that stands out about it is there's the use of the theremin, which is an instrument that is I rarely have heard. Honestly, the first time I heard it was for this score. Um, but it kind of signifies the mermaid's voice. Um, and I find that it has such an eerie quality to it. And it's also quite beautiful. And I, I think it so perfectly captures her in that way that there is some, some level of um, doom mm -hmm. <laughs> in it. But also it is quite beautiful. Um, one of the things that I also really like about the, the music is that there are themes, and then the themes are layered. So in one of the um, scenes on the ship, I think there's a photo, maybe right after that. Um, yes, that section is called the Pasigalia, which is uh, the mermaid, the prince, the princess, and the poet are all dancing together. And different themes are layered on top of another. So there's one theme that is, sounds very loving and hopeful and fresh almost, um, which is layered with a more um, ominous theme. And they're being played at the same time. And John wanted to make it clear that during that time when they're, the four are dancing together, the princess should convey this feeling of hopefulness. She's starting to fall in love with the prince, and the prince is starting to fall in love with her. But at the same time, the mermaid's heart is being broken at the very moment that she's seeing all of this happen. So it's kind of the juxtaposition of those two extreme um, feelings. Those are being portrayed not only in the choreography and in the characters, but also in the music, if you listen for it. I think uh, for this particular music, but we well know dancers need the rhythm when we dance. That's what makes the steps, but not all the time necessarily. Because um, in this particular uh, score, for uh, my part, under the ocean, we well when we were working on it, we have hard times counting the music. That's what we need. That's what we use to. Um, fit into the steps and how we remember the steps is to count the music. But not every part of this music you can count it because it sounds more like a wave because we're under the sea. Mm -hmm. It sounds more like a wave than a rhythm. So we have to sort of figure figuring out ourselves how to fit the movements into the music. I think um, but believe me or not that that's what this makes this ballet unique 
was that's what makes this music unique and fits the theme so well. Because we're under the water, and then once we're out of the water, it's, it gets uh, it has some sort of rhythm and has because uh, part some parts in this music called almost waltz, almost polka, almost uh-huh. uh, um, uh, tango. Yeah, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's like almost, but not, not really. So which just makes this whole music very interesting. I was sort of joking with somebody about it. There is nowhere in this piece is there a pas de deux and variations, <laughs> and that's the choreography and that's the music. It's it's like one long tone poem. It just goes and the movement goes and the steps go and yeah, it, it, yeah. it doesn't have a like say the traditional classical oh, okay. we do and then we stop and we pause <laughs> and then we take a bow and then we do another variation it's, it's a full on it, it's more about the feeling actually which this music does it and then the choreography does it too we're almost at the end of our time and I want to just really compliment both of you on being very thoughtful and very insightful about a work that is pretty complicated and working with a man like John Neumeier which re- really requires you to be thoughtful and uh, insightful. <clears throat> this is um, just a technical question. I was watching, and I thought how challenging and tricky the movements of the mermaids and the other the other sea creatures. Did they rehearse from the very beginning with fins, with, with the... The, what would you call them, the, the long-legged drapes? They just, did, yeah. yeah. From the very first rehearsal, we have, I, I believe they're rehearsal pants or fins. Yeah, um, tails. There tails, tails. Yeah, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> so in rehearsals, people would be flapping around. and um, I think I can only imagine how much time and energy it takes to get used to that and to be mm-hmm. able to dance some with ease but also with those extra fabric so thank you for answering that yeah (laughs) and i'm sure that you'll be relieved to know that it wasn't the first dress rehearsal that they saw those those tales um i want to thank you both very much for taking this time and i hope the audience has um got a sense of what this incredible work is going to bring and i hope most of you will be seeing it if not tonight, in the next few days, um, you'll get a chance to see Sasha and Wei um, over the weekend. Uh, Sunday is Sunday. our last show. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other casts who will be just exciting and different. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to tonight's performance, actually. Um, I want to thank you all. I want to remind you that you need to exit over that way and then either hand in your um, points of view pass or if you're ticketed, you can circle around and come back and get settled. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we'll see you all next season. And we'll see you in two weeks for the final points of view of the season. There we go. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.